This is Speaking Out on ABC Radio, Radio National, Radio Australia, on podcast and the ABC Listen app. I'm Larissa Berendt and if you like what you're hearing, why not rate us on your app and that way other people can find us and hear our stories as well. Coming up, linguistic sociologist Jacqueline Troy details her latest essay exploring Australia and the language of deep history. Right now, though, music from legendary South Australian reggae rock band No Fixed Address and a quick shout out to one of our most avid listeners, Uncle Riverbank Frank. Thank you. 
That's No Fixed Address with The Vision, a song taken from their 1981 album, Wrong Side of the Road. This is Speaking Out. That's the key to it all, keeping connected to country. On ABC Radio. Jacqueline Troy is the Director of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Research and a Professor of Linguistics at the University of Sydney. As a linguistic sociologist, her work is focused on documenting, describing and reviving Indigenous languages. She's the author of an essay in and co-editor of Every When, Australia and the Language of Deep History. A major theme in these essays is that history is not straightforward, that we need a different conception of history than the one we use in Western thinking. I spoke to her as part of RN's big weekend of books about how time and language can help people to better understand the concept of Indigenous sovereignty. Well, I do really love that word every when that um, Anne McGrath used for the title for the book and that concept of um, synchronous time, but the, the diachronic and the synchronous match that they overlap. So in our own way of thinking, um, in our languages, you know, your own languages too, Larissa um, Wiradjuri, I think, primarily, or... Uwalari. Uwalari. Uwa- yes. Oh, Uwalari, my That's apologies, right. but... That's okay. um, I know there's lots of Wiradjuri around, but no, I'm no, holding the flag Uwalari. for Uwalari. Yeah, yeah, so near neighbours, of course, so yeah. um, I... Um, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's Some of my I... best friends were Wiradjuri. <laughs> yes, me too. They're out down at the mob down at Tim and Brungle, of course, um, identify with... Um, um, Walgaloo and um, Narragoo and Wiradjuri and Nunawal from Canberra, yeah. so it's really nice. But, um, yeah, but that's sort of the idea that time is not something that um, happens and finishes, I guess. Like in, in a Western frame, there's this idea that things happen, that's the past, you know, even what we were talking about before is that's the past and we can hark back to it, think back to it, talk about it, write about it. But in our way of thinking, as you'd, you'd have a sense too, if you've engaged with your own language as well, is that um, we don't really do, we sort of have a, a tense that's about everything that's ever happened and it's still happening. There's no marking for the present and then there's future marking. So the present the present and the past are continuously happening together. Uh, so for me, being on my country and in... In my country, I can feel everything that's ever happened still happening. You know, every person who's ever lived still there, everything, every creature. So, and it's not so different from a Western science way of thinking that, you know, actually matter never ends. It all just turns into something else, which is exactly what we say. So my grandmother said to me, I remember as a small child standing at, um, in her home in Sydney, which is incidentally, just as a side, <clears throat> my backyard in Sydney, I, I live in the space that had been my grandparents' house because my mother owns it now. The backyard is full of snowy mountain rocks that my grandfather brought because he worked on the snowy. I think your family were involved with the snowy too, that brought these rocks so that my grandmother would always have a piece of her country. And I put my hands on these smooth river granite, you know, those beautiful snowy river mm. granite pebbles, big ones. And so um, she, but standing in that yard, surrounding by the, surrounded by these snowy mountains, river rocks, you know, she, I said to her, you know, Nana, I, I can't imagine you being gone. 
And she said, oh, you don't have to. I'm never gone. She said, when, I, when I'm not here like this, look up into the sky and you will find me. She said, all those stars up there, every twinkling star is an ancestor. That's somebody. And when you see a shooting star, that's someone returning. And this is actually the cosmology that is across Australia, in fact, worldwide in Indigenous communities. I keep coming across this same idea that you look up, you see your family. And I think the word history probably needs to be ditched in some ways because it literally ties us to this idea of documents that are written documents. I mean, our documents are everything around us. That has always been there. Those trees have always been there, that one to the next one, and they they move, they meld into... So every snow gum melds into the next snow gum. You know, it's even the way our trees behave. They put up suckers and grow another tree. Mm. It looks like a dead tree, you know, so... They're much more interconnected yeah, than people yeah, realise. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, you mentioned language in passing, which, of course, has been a big part of your work, yeah. your expertise, First Nations language. How do you see that as being connected to these concepts of place and history? Well, our languages are very, very efficient. They work on a, the basis that you have a key idea, if you like, and then you add on to that um, we call it in linguistics um, a morpheme, a base morpheme, a stem. And then you can add things onto it that turns it into something that is what in loosely you could say is a, a verb, a doing thing, or a descriptive thing, an adjective, or some kind of noun form, you know, a thing, 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 thing. That's a nice Aboriginal way of saying it, isn't it? <laughs> thing, thing. Um, so, um, you know... Um, so our languages are like, uh, they're kind of like putting beautiful poetry together um, because you have a, or having a lovely palette that you can place on a canvas or sculpting something because they're so old, they're extremely efficient. We have huge vocabulary and it's really sad that so much of that has stop being used, but people are recovering it. As you know, with your own mm. language, Uralarite's very strongly. That whole Gamilaroi, Uralarai, Ularai group is just really pumping along. Wiradjuri too, Barkindji, um, Gumbangi, like I could just name almost, hopefully Naragu soon. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and um, so, for example, in my country, if I, the, the, the Snowy Mountains, as we talk about it, is Kunamanamaji at the top. So that's what Uncle John Casey from down at Tumba. So um, uh, it literally means ku, I'm pretty sure. Ku is snow. And then the n part na is to make it have the quality of, turn it into an adjective. Ma is from the word mara. You may know this, hand, mara. So across Australia, mara is the word for hand. If you attach that to something, it turns it into a making word. So kunama is like um, snowy, having the quality of snow. And nama, nama is boobies. (laughs) Um, And again, across Australia, something similar like that. And then ji is to to have, be associated to have. So it's literally the snowy boobies, which is a metaphor for mountains. So it's literally, I think snowy mountains is a translation from our language. So you see how we sort of build it like that. So guess what kuma is, where you come from? Ku, snow, ma, snowmaking. 
right. Kuma and Jindabyne. Jindabyne's lovely. Jinda is star in many of our languages across Australia. And I was asked this by a Noongar friend of mine as she came. She said, what's that word, Jindabyne? That's a great word. Um, <laughs> she said, my daughter's Jinda, star. I said, oh, no, seriously? This is what it must be. And then ba, ma, make. Right. Ian is from. So gender binds where the stars are made and come from. I just wanted to pick up on something additional that you write about uh, in relation to language and connection to country, and that is the importance of song. You say yep. that the first language was music. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, my wonderful friend, mentor, colleague, Linda Barwick, who's uh, one of the world's top ethnomusicologist, to use a fancy title, um, from the Conservatorium of Music at Sydney. She writes about um, how it's very likely that our first form of communication as very clever old world monkeys, <laughs> primates, was hooting at each other, you know, like a monkeys do now, you know, whoop, 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 you know, you hear. So it's, it's a I love your animal noises. We've <laughs> had birds, we've got <laughs> primates. I love it. Well, like you, Larissa, I love animals. I think it's a black fella <laughs> thing. Right. And being able to call out to country and language, yeah. I mean, often that's what you do. You, yeah. I have a cousin who always goes, wah, brother, when she sees the crows. Anyway, but this um, hooting and that kind of calling, you know, the fact that we name animal birds particularly by their song we have this onomatopoeia we call it in you know sound words in our languages all languages uh, comes from us doing a similar kind of thing so it's our so singing and singing out you know we say sing out to someone call them so that kind of flowing way of making sound that can vary in depth pitch you know length is something that humans did probably at the very beginning, and then this very structured, clipped way of talking that we have now is a, is a more is a development as people sort of did things more routinely, more regularly, and then it stabilised into a pattern, a system, which is what we now call spoken language. Um, but the very, very old languages, if you listen to them, like Australian languages, do have this very strong quality of of, of flow and sing song English is a mixed language as you'd probably know and it's it's quite hard to speak and it's got a lot of sounds in it that come from such a range of languages it's very hard to use a lot of sounds you know Japanese people who first heard English people speaking hundreds of years ago said that they sounded like snakes hissing everything was you know um so um a lot of languages don't use those sounds ours don't really um and musical traditions tend to be very, very old and more trackable. You can tell what musical instruments are used, you know, whereas the records for languages only go back about 6,000 years, the written records, you know. That's Director of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Research and a Professor of Linguistics at the University of Sydney, Jacqueline Troy. She was speaking with me recently as part of RN's Big Weekend of Books.